Um, hope everyone's doing well today. It's good to see you. And um, I hope everybody's had a great week. It's already hot. And um, <clears throat> if you've uh, walked out overdressed as I have, um, then we'll uh, aid each other. I think uh, it's about to drop this morning already. Anybody about to drop? Okay, love it. Extremes, right? Extremes in Chicago. Freezing, burning, reminding us that hell's real, you know? <laughs> and, then, and then we come back. So, guys, uh, it's good to see you today. And um, <clears throat> what I wanted to do is uh, start off uh, by giving another shout out to our man. Um, some of you noticed that during the school year, we have a sort of like a whole row of people who just sort of come in and they like come in like a posse, you know, and they congregate together <laughs> and they're just like, you know, we're in charge, you know. And so it's the optometry school students who many of them were out um, for the summer break. But our man Griffin, Griffin, just raise your hand, dude. Yeah, that's Griffin. Guess what Griffin just did? Anyone want to guess? Griffin, could you tell him what you just did? You showed yourself a man, dude. That's right. That's right. That's right. Griffin just got engaged too. That's all right, brother. Yeah. Wing Yin, who like actually got everything started with the optometry school students. Um, he, uh, she said, I do. Yes. She said, not I do yet. <laughs> she said, yes. Yes to the dress. And so um, it's, it's going to be good. And so uh, congratulate uh, Griffin um, on uh, his engagement. That's exciting and good. And um, my goodness. So much love, man. And um, we just also want to say that this is a special Sunday, too, because of the fact that if you look at history, um, what this is traditionally known as is Pentecost Sunday, okay? Uh, Pentecost Sunday is something that in the church has been celebrated for years, and it's been celebrated because of the fact that it was the actual, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the birth of the church through the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Um, and as we talked about last week, you know, we need to have our faith built on the orthodox foundations of the faith that are set forth in his word, that are set forth by the church fathers over the years. Uh, we talked about some of the orthodox creeds um, that were given by the church last week to establish us in our faith, even to provide protection for us as we attempt to walk with God in holiness, purity, and truth in our present generation. And today, what we want to end our series of Chicago Fire with is um, really talking about that person of the Holy Spirit who, as we talked in the Nicene Creed about, is the third person of the Trinity. The third person of the Trinity, there's God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, who died and gave his life for us, and God the Holy Spirit, who, as our series talks about, is intended to lead the church of Jesus Christ within city settings to advance his kingdom and his purposes. And so today what we want to do is uh, finish our series on Pentecost Sunday, celebrating the birth of the church through the power of the Holy Spirit by talking about Jesus and a church that practices the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness towards us today. God, we thank you for your word, which is our ever-present example of who you are and how to live, not in our own strength, not in our own vigor, not in our own zeal, but really empowered by you. And God, we pray that today as we study your word, we'd once again be moved and motivated to build according to your word, to build by the power of your Holy Spirit, and to see your will done. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what we want to start with today is understanding that God raises up multiple types of leadership within the church with gifts of the Holy Spirit to both strengthen and build it. Let's turn to Acts chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 22 today. We're picking up where we left off last week, where we had the Jerusalem Council in the midst of all of the discussions and all of the advance of the gospel in the midst of the Roman Empire. We saw that there were some who tried to confuse the faith. There were some who tried to basically come in and teach things that uh, weren't particularly in agreement with the gospel or that which Jesus had come to accomplish. And so 
the early church leaders um, led by James, the half-brother of Jesus in Jerusalem at the time, they got together and searched the scriptures, they prayed, and they said, what is it that Jesus was actually laying out for us? What is it that Jesus was proclaiming as true and how he wants to build his church? Because Jesus said that this is my church and I'm going to be building it and the gates of Hades will not be able to prevail against it. That Jesus said he is building his church. Ultimately, if you're wondering what Jesus is doing in the year 2017, until he makes his return as he's doing the same thing year after year until he makes his return. And what he's doing is he's advancing his kingdom by building his church. He's advancing his kingdom by building his church. I mean, honestly, I remember um, I understood this plainly about the unchanging nature of God's purpose because I was of the generation that grew up on Animaniacs. And uh, if you grew up on Animaniacs like I did, you remember fondly two different individuals called Pinky and the Brain. And the Pinky and the Brain, they would go out week after week and they would make plans as to what they would do. Anybody remember what their plans were? Yeah, that's right, you can say it with me. Same thing we do every night, Pinky, try to take over the world, right? And so that is, that, so when I was coming out of the darkness into the kingdom, I understood that because Jesus was doing the same thing, right? It's his planet, it belongs to him. The authority's been usurped, but he's coming for it again. He's coming to take it back, but he comes to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the truth of his word through the gospel. And so where we are picking up today is where the church was establishing this and making sure that the Orthodox faith was getting to all of the highways and byways, the Gentiles and the places in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth where the gospel was starting to spread outside of the worship center of Jerusalem. So let's read today. It says, verse 22, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers. Okay, this is the premise that we're working off of today. Many people understand and have embraced the teaching of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, right? We have three-fourths of the New Testament letters written by the hand of Paul through the power of the Holy Spirit. But in the church and building the church at the time, we're also leading men and leading women among the brothers, among the church, through which the church was also advanced. And we're only highlighting this because of the fact that if you grew up in a setting like my wife, she grew up as a PK. She's actually visiting her father now uh, with uh, my children and he's still a pastor to this day. And she grew up in small country settings where it was like the pastor did it all. He was the preacher, he was the teacher, he visited when people were sick. He was the janitor. He was the person who, you know, prayed for people, um, um, prayed for people on Sunday mornings. Anything that the church needed and considered spiritual, they looked to the one man to do. But when you look at the book of Acts, it was built differently. The church was built differently. The church was built on the living stones of all of its members. All of its members. And for the kingdom of God to advance in the way that it did in the midst of the Roman Empire, it was not just Paul and Barnabas whom we're familiar with who did all the work. They're the people that we, even in our modern times, are most familiar with. They'd be the people who, if they had Facebook back in the day, would have had a million plus followers. Right? And everybody would, like, on their Twitter feed be, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm on them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anytime Paul says something, I'm, yeah, digging it. You know, reposting. But there were a whole host of other men and women used by God, anointed by the Holy Spirit to do the works of God and advance the kingdom. And without them, what we see and what we have the privilege of experiencing today would not be realized. And if that's the case, 
in how the church was built 2,000 plus years ago, you better believe it's the case for us today. You better believe that the future of the church depends on not just men and women who have a voice. Anybody watch the voice? Okay, Alicia Keys is on there right now and I'm like anytime she, like some, she turns around, it's just like over, right? Well, anyway, the point is, is that, yeah, everybody goes with her. But the point is, is that it's not just people with a mic in their hand who are going to build the church of Jesus Christ today until the time of his return. It's going to be men and women like Paul and Barnabas, but also, also, as we see in the scripture, like Silas, like Judas called Barsabbas, who are leading men and women among the churches who need to advance the kingdom with as much fervor, as much faith, as much commitment, as much zeal as those who are going before them had for the kingdom of God to continue to go forward today. God's not done. God's still building his church. And he says he wants all of us to participate today. So going back to the scripture, they sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letters. <clears throat> with the following letter, singular, sorry. The brothers, both the apostles and elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with, everybody say with, so it was a partnership with Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. So that means that, yes, it was important, the work that Paul and Barnabas were doing, but the early church considered it ultimately important to also hear from Judas and Silas as well. And part of the way that the church would know, the Gentile church would know that what Paul and Barnabas were saying was actually right was that Judas and Silas were coming to affirm it. We're coming in partnership to say yes and amen to that which is being preached. This gospel that Jesus died and was crucified, resurrected three days later, and rules and reigns looking to come back for those who are waiting for him. The Gentile church could say yes and amen, not just because of what Paul and Barnabas are saying, but also because of Judas and Silas. For it has seemed good, back to the scripture, good to the Holy Spirit who is God himself, and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And here, here's the highlight again. And Judas and Silas, not Paul and Barnabas, but Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. So here you see it highlighted that it's not just a two-man show. It's actually the church of Jesus Christ working together by the power of the Holy Spirit to advance his will. And whenever we see ourselves in our present time, 
A lot of times people are quick to disqualify themselves from being people like the big bad apostles. Anybody like me? Anybody read that and say, man, Peter, Peter was a man, he made some mistakes, but not, never me, Lord. Yeah, babe. I, 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 I mean, it'd be nice if like, you know, I will, wish I could have been one of the 12, but probably not. I'd have probably been part of the crowd just talking about, you know, when are you going to feed us again? You know, talking about the feeding of the 5,000. But it's easier. I'm just telling you it's easier sometimes to identify with the people who weren't writing the scripture, but were part of the story. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm saying? It's sometimes easier to embrace that, to say, maybe I wouldn't have been the man who God was having whipped and beaten and stoned. <laughs> I say amen to that too. Anyway, but the point is, is that I'm, I'm, I'm fine to be a participant. I'm fine to be on the front lines as part of the story. And if anything, you can see yourself like Judas, like Silas, who might not have been the chief speakers, but they were in fact, by God, called prophets. Prophets to the house of the Lord. And many times, whenever we think about prophets, we think only about the Old Testament scripture, right? We think about people like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. We think about Isaiah. We think about all the people who over hundreds of years predicted the coming of the Messiah, right? But many times today, we discount the fact that in the New Testament, in the New Testament church, post-Jesus resurrection, there were prophets. There were prophets to the house of the Lord, fulfilling by the power of the Holy Spirit, the function of God to build his church and advance his kingdom. Now we know that according to the word of God, at least two of the functions that Judas and Silas had was this, that they stayed there a long time. Let's go back to verse 32. Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Let me first break down to you that if we're going to move by the power of the Holy Spirit today, the first thing that you and I need to be ready and able to do is communicate the word of God, is communicate the scripture. Revelation clearly tells us that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. That if anybody's prophesying accurately, and when we talk about prophesying, what we're talking about is receiving by the Holy Spirit a message from God that is to be communicated to other people so that they might hear him clearly, see him clearly, understand him clearly, and be mobilized for his purposes. And if anybody is going to accurately communicate those things, it needs to be centered on the person of Jesus. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. There is nothing that comes forth that is going to speak against the gospel, that's going to speak against his name, that's going to speak about his inevitable purposes to reconcile all men from all nations to himself through this word. Bringing men to repentance and faith, saying that there's no other God, no other name by which we might be saved except the name of Jesus. There is nothing that's going to come by the Spirit of God that testifies to anything other than that. But everything that comes from that prophetic word is going to build off of that to, by the Spirit of God, strengthen and encourage the people with many words. To number one, speak the truth of the gospel, but then number two, to strengthen the people in the purposes of the gospel as they try to live for him. If you're unfamiliar with spiritual gifts, we encourage you to go and pick up a purple book today in the back. It's free. Your tithes and offerings pay for it. So maybe it's not free, but it's true. Okay? It's like, it's free for anybody who wants it right in the back. It's a Bible study. It's a Bible study. And one of those chapters are on the person of the Holy Spirit. And what we celebrate on 
Pentecost Sunday is that when Jesus was resurrected, it said that after the believers and the um, were huddled together, fasting and praying and believing God, God poured out his Holy Spirit upon them on the day of Pentecost and in power, they began to minister the word of God to a Gentile audience from all the nations who had gathered together to come and worship God and hear the word of the Lord. So in essence, they were in the first respect prophesying, right? They were taking that wonder, the wonders of God and saying, yes, this is now for here and now it's for this time, just as we in Chicago can say today that this eternal word is for the here and now, it's for our family members, it's for our friends, it's for our coworkers, it's for our neighbors, it's for the people that do not know him yet. And just as Peter preached, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the same word that we're anointed to preach today. That He's given us a message. And He says that not in your own ability, but if you're a believer, I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit. I'm going to come upon you and immerse you in power. So that like Peter, you could be a bold witness of this word and this truth. To speak to people. And not just speak to people, but have signs and wonders follow the preaching of the word. And part of that preaching of the word is one, the logos. When the word of God is described in the scripture, it's called the logos, meaning the eternal, unchanging, written word of God. And then there's another word used for the word of God called rhema. And the rhema word is coming from his mouth. And this is where we get into not just them speaking the gospel, but them according to confirming the spirit of Jesus, the rhema word of God is a word like Corinthians talks about. When Paul is instructing the Corinthian church, and he said, they're gifts of the Holy Spirit. Please read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, given. And part of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is prophecy. And prophecy is given for the strengthening, right there, encouragement and comfort of the people of God. The strengthening, encouragement, and comfort of the people of God. So all of a sudden... You have the Logos, which encapsulates even the written word that we had from prophets like Jeremiah, like Isaiah, right? Like Amos, like Nahum, who you may have never read before. Obadiah, you might have read him because real short. Okay, but like, listen, like all the Old Testament prophets. But then there were prophets in the New Testament, not to continue to write scripture, but to strengthen, encourage, and comfort the people. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit were invested in the people of God by the baptism of the Holy Spirit to build his church. Does this make sense? Pentecost Sunday is reminding us of this fact. Pentecost Sunday is reminding us that in the book of Acts, from Acts chapter 2 all the way to the end, that signs and wonders followed the preaching of the word. And it wasn't just, as we see here, Paul and Barnabas. It wasn't just Peter and John or James or Bartholomew or the other apostles that were unique at the time of Jesus' ministry and post his resurrection. It was other men, and we'll see later in the Acts, other women who were prophesying by the word of the Lord to build his church. And the question today then becomes, what is it that God's raising me up by the power of his Holy Spirit to do that I might help build his church? What are the gifts of God that he's invested in me to help build his church? Because God is saying very clearly that it is not just a one man or a two man show. It is very practically 
the church, everyone doing its work so that the body of Christ might be built up. Isn't that what Ephesians says? Paul's treaties on the church? He says the body of Christ grows. And how many people want the church of Jesus Christ to grow? Because when it grows, that means people are getting saved. When it grows, that means your friends, family members, and coworkers are coming from death to life, from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God. How many people want the church to grow? But when Paul was talking about the church growing, he said the body of Christ grows and builds itself up in love as each part. Everybody say each part. As each part does its work. That means if I'm not doing my work, there's going to be a part of the body that's not growing. If you're not anointed of God doing your work, there's going to be a part of the body that's not growing. Does this make sense? Just as surely as 2 plus 2 equals 4, God's given us a recipe for his church to grow and for us to accomplish his purposes. But he says everybody's got to be in the game. Everybody's got to be in the game. There is nobody left out, and that's the good news. But it's not on your own. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to go back to the scripture we mentioned last week as well, when Paul was instructing his young uh, disciple Timothy in the faith and the things that he was talking about. And we referenced this last week, but it dives a little bit deeper into our at, the attitude we should have towards the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it's 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 16. Again, this is Paul talking to Timothy. He says, let no one despise you for your youth. That's another disqualifier we a lot of times have, right? I can't be like them because I don't have gray hair yet. I can't be like them because I haven't studied enough. I can't be like them because I haven't done this or that. But Paul's giving instruction to Timothy and said, don't let anybody despise you because of your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Right? And this is what we're talking about? All prophecy starts with what? Not a trick question, guys. Scripture. Okay? All prophecy starts with Scripture. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. To exhortation. Which means a let's go spirit. Right? Exhortation. If you've ever played on a team before, you need somebody in the locker room. Right? Isn't that right? You need somebody on the field. You need somebody on the court who when things are going against you and the tide has turned, you need somebody who's going to exhort you saying, let's go. The game is not over. The battle has not been lost. In fact, if we do not quit up, we, we do not quit, we will win. And he's saying, this is the spirit of prophecy through exhortation that's being given to the church. And this is Paul again talking to his disciple Timothy, saying, do this. The church needs this. Your brothers and sisters need this. Don't you check out when things are going rough or tough or tumbling. You get in there and you devote yourself to the public reading of scripture and to exhortation. It's not enough that you're setting an example in love, life, faith, speech, and impurity. You need to exhort somebody by the spirit of God. We need to, as the people of God, hear from God if we're gonna serve God. Do we not? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. If we're serving a living God, let's live like it. Let's act like it. That God speaks today. And he can speak through not only his word, but through his people, just as he did in the New Testament church. 
Let's go on, verse 14. He says this to Timothy. Once again, not Paul, not Paul, not Barnabas, but Timothy. He says, Timothy, anybody, you see this as a pattern, right? Anybody that the apostles are talking to, they're reminding them of their gifts. They're reminding them that they're gifted. And so Paul talking to Timothy, he says, do not neglect the gift you have. So I say to you today, all of you, do not neglect the gift you have. That you have. Not your husband or wife, no matter how great you think they are. Not your brother or sister sitting next to you or across the aisle from you. No, do not neglect the gift that you have. You have a gift, which was given you by, here's that word again, prophecy. Prophecy. When the council of elders laid their hands on you, so meaning that part of the function of that prophetic again is to call out gifts that God himself has invested gifts in the people of God and then through the prophetic word of the Lord, it calls out the gifts, helping to either identify or confirm that which God has invested in you. You remember it on a natural level, right? Maybe in, in your home, you had parents who would call out gifts in you. You remember that? Saying, sweetie, you're, or you know, son, you're good at this. You're good at that. You have this particular skill or this ability, or maybe it might have been a coach or a teacher for you at some point in your life, calling out certain gifts, right? But in a spiritual sense, God does the same thing in his church. And he says, through the council of leadership, he calls out the gifts that we're supposed to operate in. So what that, let me get real practical for you. So what that means is if you don't know your gift, then come talk to us. Hello? Is that practical enough for you? Because we will lay hands on you and believe God to speak. Isn't that what they did? Let's just read the Bible together. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So if you need help discovering your gift, the prophetic word is here for you to call it out. Some of you who are more adventurous, you just like trying things, and that's good too. You like trying to see what you're good at. Do that too. That's practical. Try to step out in a word of knowledge or a word of prophecy, and if somebody looks at you like this, huh? maybe now you gift. Okay? <laughs> okay? It's all right. Move on. <laughs> okay? But let me tell you also, Sometimes you need that word from others, that prophetic word, because sometimes you'll step out in something and not see it function the way you expected it to, and you'll need encouragement to keep going, though God has already gifted you in it. You know what I'm saying? An example is like a gift of healing. God heals today. God heals today. And there are biblical gifts of miracles and healing that Jesus Christ does to honor his name. There was a man years ago, though, called John Wimber. Anybody heard of him before? Okay, he had a healing ministry that God just was through pointing people to Jesus, saving people over and over again. And God had given him a healing ministry. And whenever he was trying to step out in faith to operate in this gift, this healing ministry, he began praying for people. But at the beginning... When he was praying for people, people did not get better. In fact, as his record accounts, some people got worse and died. Not, not because of him, but because of their condition. And you could have imagined that in that moment, John could have been like, well, guess that's not my gift. Guess that's not my gift. Or, 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 check this out. I guess God's not operating in that way today which is more what we gravitate towards. We try to base our theology on experience rather than the word of God. But John persisted because he had people who had given him a prophetic message when they laid their hands on him. And so he continued to pray for people. And as he continued to pray, 
God was firming up his faith in Jesus' ability, in Jesus' power. All of a sudden, he became like the persistent widow that Jesus talked about. Where it says, if you do not give up, right? Wear me out with your coming. And he continued to pray for people. And then Jesus began to heal people. Person after person after person after person by the miracle hand of God. Because he persisted in the faith. He refused to neglect it because he had gotten encouragement from a prophetic word that had come to him. Make sense? He said, practice these things. All right, makes it real practical. Practice these things. If you've got a gift, that's what we say in our household. Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes progress. Isn't that the truth? Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes progress. And if you want to grow in the gift that he's given you, once you've figured it out, or once you have an inkling for it, you've got to practice it. And immerse yourself in them. What does that mean? That means like I'm a chicken on rice. I'm a chicken on a bug. If I'm, if I'm believing that I've got, let me tell you something. I knew that I was called to like God, for God to use me evangelistically. I knew it. From the time I got saved, I knew I was going to hell. But when Jesus had saved my life, I knew that he had meant me to be a herald. To just cry out and see people come from death to life and from the power of Satan to God. I knew it. But I'm telling you, when I started, when I started on my college campus, it was years before I saw one person turn to Jesus. Years. I remember talking to like some one of the like leaders in the church, and I like I was like, listen, I know I've got this evangelistic fire burning in me, but I'm walking out of campus, instead of people coming to Jesus, they're running from me. And he was like, well, maybe you're not gifted evangelistically. And I said, in my, in my head, because I wanted to be respectful, I said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I want to be respectful. <laughs> I said, you, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Because what is God doing? He's always, always using circumstances to bring out a faith that's tested and refined by fire by fire. And I'm telling you, I persisted by practicing, by practicing. And I'd read all the apologetic books that I could. And I'd read all of the testimonies of people coming to Jesus. And my faith was being built over and over again. And I'd just keep getting out there, talking to people that I knew and people that I didn't know. And then eventually something broke through practice. Something broke, and then eventually, person after person in the U.S. and overseas started coming to the Lord. Started repenting and turning to Jesus. Now, was it because of anything that I did differently? Maybe a little, but it was ultimately God's work in them as he was working in me. Because I was practicing and immersing myself in the very gift that he had deposited so that by faith, everybody might see my progress. That even the gifts of the Holy Spirit take practice to fan in the flame. It takes you immersing yourself in them to operate in them proficiently. Is that not true? How many of you have ever gone to a doctor before and wanted them just to wing it. Saying, you know, God, God has anointed me for medicine. And so I really don't need to practice anything. Please, lay on the table. You'd be like, what? <laughs> no, thank you. I don't care what you feel called to do. Unless you've practiced and immersed yourself in your craft, you're not touching me. Amen to that? It is the same with the gifts of God. You need to both practice and immerse yourselves in them that you might progress in them. But you got to care first. You got to care first. And what I mean by caring, 
<laughs> what I mean by caring is that you gotta care that you even have a gift or that you need to discover what it is. Some people sit in a message like this and they, they go, oh, okay, that was good. And they don't do anything with it. Just go home and say, I, yeah, I heard that. Interesting. Encouraging. Oh, I never heard that before. And then it just drops. Let me tell you what that is. That is exactly what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the parable of the sower, that when he sows his seed, immediately the enemy comes and tries to snatch what was sown into your heart. This has happened over and over again in the church world throughout history. The word is spoken to bring truth and faith, but people don't do anything with it. But Jesus said, blessed are those who not only hear the word, but those who put it into, there's that word again, practice. Those who put it into practice. I want to share just a last few bit of quotes and then to help you like develop a right mentality for this and then we're done. I first want to share with you a quote from a man named Jack Deere. Has anybody have heard of Jack Deere before? Jack Deere was a Dallas Theological Seminary professor. Anybody ever heard of Dallas Theological Seminary? Okay. It's a great, great seminary, okay? In Dallas. Because that's obvious. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. But he was a person who wasn't familiar with the gifts of the Holy Spirit until God himself encountered him. And then said, hey, listen, I've got more for you, is basically what he said. This is what Jack Deere, the professor, says. He says, sometimes when you have spent a long time rejecting the gifts of the Spirit and come to believe in them, you almost feel as if you are being born again. You feel as if you have a whole new Bible. By that latter statement, I mean that the Gospels and Acts come alive for you in a way that they never have before. Things that you have relegated to the first century now become a possibility for today's church. And I think that's true of some people in here. Maybe not being familiar or thinking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating today. God says, hey, listen, I want to bring you into something more. More of me. The third person of the Trinity. Not just Father and Son, but the Holy Spirit as well. Other people are maybe like mothers and fathers in the house who sometimes, how many people know that, what is it, Father's Day is next week, right? Yeah, see, Father's Day is next week, and it's sort of like sometimes mothers and fathers, you know how it is, you feel like you're the last people to be remembered. I remember when I started having kids, my mom didn't ask about me anymore. I said, like, listen, I am still your son. <laughs> I still count. She's like, where are my babies? I'm like, I'm right here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but we talked about mothers and fathers in the house of the Lord, right? And sometimes you feel... Like if you're operating in things that are not seen, the gifts of God, which are not seen, you can feel neglected. But let me tell you something about fathers and mothers in the house doing the things that are unseen. Fathers and mothers operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit are often taken for granted, just like they are in the natural, but they also provide stability. Showing up by the gifts of God provides stability when you do it in faithfulness just like in a natural house. Amen? They are the ones that actually drive true change. If you think about who formed or shaped you the most, it was either the presence or absence of your mother and father, right? Regardless of your friends and regardless of the experiences you had, whether good or bad, that's what shaped you. And Billy Graham actually said this. He said, some people have a warped idea of living the Christian life. Seeing talented, successful Christians, they attempt to imitate them. For them, the grass on the other side of the fence is always greener. But when they discover that their own gifts are different or their contributions are more modest or even invisible, they collapse in discouragement and overlook genuine opportunities that are open to them. They have forgotten that they are here to serve Christ, not themselves. 
This is a word that probably Judas and Silas probably would have received encouragement from, right? Oh, I'm not Paul, I'm not Barnabas. Maybe my contribution really doesn't matter. But they were prophets who stayed with the church to both encourage and strengthen them by the gift of God. And finally, David Platt. David Platt is a man who we've commended his book before, Radical. Anybody read Radical before? Great book. Being set free from the American dream. (laughs) Coming into God's dream, you know, for the church. But he said this in his book, follow me, talking about Jesus. A call to die, a call to live. He says, God's glory is most majestically displayed, not through you or through me, but through us. Everybody say that, us. That means this independent, individualistic Christianity is not of God. It's a deception that has nothing to do with the New Testament church. God raises up the church and says to all creation in the heavens, on the earth and under the earth, this is the bride and body of my son bought and purchased by his blood to be my people and receive my power and enjoy my presence and declare my praise forever and ever. But it's collectively through the church. And here's why this is important. Gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, are for the building up of the church. Not for you. If you want to find out how gifted you are, but not be connected to anybody who's going to benefit from that gift, then you've missed the point. He said the gifts of the Holy Spirit are to build up the very church that Jesus himself is building. Different mentality, but an important one. And finally, this one isn't on the screen, but I'll end with this quote from Oswald Chambers. He wrote the good uh, devotional, My Utmost for His Highest. Everybody with me? He said this. If you take time to follow Jesus Christ's contact with his disciples, you will find that he brought each of them to a critical, I'm sorry, to a crisis of decision. For instance, Peter was led to a moral moral precipice in which he was nearly lost before he knew that he must forever give up his right to himself and entertain Jesus Christ as his Lord. John, the beloved disciple, experienced the same thing. The only disciple who failed this test was Judas. Coming in contact with mighty revivals, being swept by the power of God, having devils cast out while you pray are no signs that you are saved. God never judges us by what we do or say or what our reputations happen to be. He judges us where no one else can by the motives of the heart. Judas was chosen of God to be an apostle. He followed Christ three years. He is with him night and day following Jesus through the fascination of that marvelous personality, like the others, he grew to hate him where the others loved him. How will you decide when your hour of testing comes? How will you decide when your hour of testing comes? And the hour of testing is really the point where Jesus says, don't even try to leave this city but wait for the gift my father promised you. Because in a few days, (laughs) though you were baptized by John in water for repentance, I'm gonna baptize you in the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna baptize you, immerse you in the Holy Spirit. And through that, you're gonna be my witnesses in um, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What does that mean for us? You're gonna be my witnesses in Chicago and the US overseas and to the ends of the earth as a church. 
when you decide to a receive and step up into the gifts of God by the power of not only his word, but the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right. Worship team, let's come on back, and then we're going to do something practical. Two things that I want to say. I know it's hot in here and you guys have been troopers. Good job. Good job to you. <laughs> yes, that's right. You don't have to clap for yourself. I'll clap for you. <laughs> okay. Two things that I'd like you to do though. Number one is we're going to encourage anybody who says, you know what? I've been a believer. I've been a Christian for many years, but you know what? Truth be told, I've only received the message of the truth but I know nothing of the power of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God wants to release in and through his people that they might actually function in a way to build up his body. You want to say to yourself, I want to actually be filled with his Holy Spirit and find my gift. Today, we can pray for you after the service, okay? We want to pray for you very practically and very specifically. If you don't know your gift, that's what we're talking about. When hands were laid on you, and a prophetic message was given. Make sense? Number two, though, we have some men and women already loving Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, who are going to be going not just to Chicago, not just to the U.S., but to the ends of the earth. You can talk to Mike about helping him in his overseas missions this summer. You can talk to Daniel and Ami, some of the work that they're doing. But specifically, we're also going to, during our offering moment, we're going to, actually during our worship moment, we're going to take up an offering for those who are going to the Dominican Republic. This is a practical outlay of the work of God, right? Where they're going to preach, they're going to teach, they're going to strengthen the church and encourage the people. Sarah's gonna teach them how to dance. Come on now, prophetically, that's right. <laughs> like Miriam. That's biblical, okay? <laughs> and so as we go forward, if we could have our ushers come forward, what we're gonna do is worship God, but then we're also going to ask God, how can we be a blessing in our giving, not just to our church, but also to the DR, to the people who are going to serve and use their gifts to advance the kingdom of God wherever they might go and wherever they might.